The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. begin your spiritual journey, you are often told what to do and receive advice on which path to follow. But as you move along, eventually you need to become your own guide. Progress can be difficult at times, but once you reach new levels of awareness, the inner vistas are spectacular. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your guide and companion is Giles Asselin. Come join us now on this path of exploration. Here is your host, Giles Asselin. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Jill, Giles Asselin, calling uh, or speaking. Uh, welcome, welcome to all of you who are listening live today. Uh, welcome, especially to those who are coming back who listened to the first or uh, uh, second episode of my show. Uh, tonight or today, the, also a petit bonjour à ceux qui écoutent depuis la France, those who are listening from France. And um, today, uh, the, the title of the episode that I chose um, is about is about grace. You know, what, uh, how does how does grace move in, or how does grace, in a sense, uh, descends? And uh, this is what I would like to address in in more details in the second segment. Um, but before that, I would like to explain to you how I start how I structure my shows in a sense, uh, and what happened the past few weeks, and then uh, especially last Thursday and Friday. Um, so I tend to have an idea of what I want to talk in my next show uh, coming uh, when I approach the this week's show, and then and then I listen. I listen to what comes my way in terms of what I receive, you know, for email, the internet, or what I experienced on a daily basis. As I said in my first show, a lot of it has to do with uh, our spiritual spelunking in every day, in the mundane, you know, when I went to the gym, I went to the swimming pool, and I encountered people that were a mirror to me. So I listen to what happens. And uh, interesting enough, uh, last Thursday and last Friday, Right after the show on Thursday, I received an email from a friend of mine. I mentioned that friend in near Paris. Her name is Elisabeth Berger. And um, she sent me the words of Leonard Cohen, Leonard Cohen, that I used in my quote to describe this episode, you know, when there's a crack and that's where the light gets in, in a sense. And that made me think about how does the light get in? I think it could be a very nice topic for what I want to approach, uh, address this time. And then the next day, she sent me a post for a blog. So it wasn't especially a post uh, addressed to me, but part of the post was from a woman also. We talked about an experience where she she could see that grace in a, in a second, in the middle of a, what she called a disaster. So in a sense, two days in a row, I received something about, about grace, about the light, how people receive the light in a sense. And that made me think about... Um, 
you know, my next show and how I want to structure the show. And it's interesting because uh, all week long, I've been receiving messages or exchanges on, on LinkedIn. I belong to a couple of groups on LinkedIn. And in those groups, um, again, I collected some materials, some thoughts about what I do not want to share today or what I want to share. So it's very interesting. Uh, and this is, about, this is about spiritual spelunking. You send out something to the universe and the universe responds in many different ways. Obviously, we are all interconnected at a, at a soul level and also at the digital level. So we receive a lot through the digital network. Um, but I thought it was very interesting for me to, I wanted to mention that to you, interestingly enough, because um, again, when we send out something, there's a, a reverberation uh, in the universe, a ripple effect in a sense. And we get feedback. So I think it's important, uh, regardless of what kind of spiritual work we are talking about, it's important that we, we send out something, some vibrations. If it's uh, only a vibration of, I want to do spiritual work, I want to look within and see what's going on. I think it's important we do that. We, we make the first step, in a sense, whatever it means for you to get into the cave. It could mean, I don't know, take a vacation or visit your in-laws. It's, it's not up to me to tell. But I think it's very important to, to do this and, and, to, and to start walking in a sense. Uh, it's a spiritual walk. We're talking about a path and it's not by, by accident. So thank you very much for this, um, listening to this intro. What I wanted to do in the next uh, few minutes is uh, to backtrack a little bit and talk about what I addressed um, in the last segment of my show last week. Uh, this concept coming from Bill Plotkin, uh, the depth uh, psychologist uh, who is based in Southwest Colorado and organizes uh, Vision Quest. And, and the concept I, I really connected with, I think I mentioned that already, is this, this concept of the core wound. And the core wound that can become sacred once we do the work that we need to do. And I think the reason I, you know, reflecting back on, on the book and, and the concept that I discovered about um, three of 2011 was the year, so four years ago. Uh, why is it so meaningful to me? And why is it that I discovered this, uh, this portion of, of life, in a sense, maybe 35 or 40 years after my experience of it? Uh, it, it's a bit of mind-boggling and it's also what I would like to question and, and send to the universe. You know, why is this or why was this on my path four years ago? And, and again, I don't always need to get an answer, but I think it's important to, to be curious about things and, and to, question, um, to question our progress, not in a challenging way, but to, to try to understand the patterns in our progress. So I read a little bit about the, the, the excerpt from, um, from a chapter called The Wanderer in the Cocoon, uh, again, which was very meaningful. It's, it seems to be the stage, a late adolescent stage, uh, where this exploration in the cocoon uh, happens uh, for people who are searching. And um, talking about the wood, he said, this is an early psychological wound a trauma so great she thought the primary survival strategies of childhood in reaction to it. So hurtful that much of her personal style and sensitivities are their roots there. And as I said last week, I can relate to that. Um, the way I was hurt in a sense, the way uh, the yelling was going on in the house uh, 40 years ago, my mother's yelling, the, the dragon breathing fire. 
and um, pretty much all of us, you know, hiding in our corner. And, and myself in particular, um, my question there is, what is it that I absorbed at the time that made me react the way I reacted in the next few years of my life? And later on, um, Bill Plotkin says, he's uh, talking about a person who experienced that uh, dysfunction. And he says, she need not come from a dysfunctional family, however, to have wounds. A core wound uh, may stem from birth trauma or birth defect or the death of a mother when she was three or a pattern of innocent but shattering betrayals at the hands of her older brother. Maybe it was her father's absence due to illness or her guilt at surviving the car wreck that claimed her younger sister or her own childhood bout of a potentially deadly fever. Although personal histories often include injurious events such as these, the core wound rarely stems from a single traumatic incident. More often, it consists of a pattern. Of a pattern, sorry, it consists of a pattern of hurtful events or disturbing dynamic in one or more important relationships. And I can really connect to this um, to this paragraph um, to the extent that I think what was very traumatic to me was. Uh, I could see the yelling coming. I could see the chaos, the chaos in the house at some point because there was a pattern when my brother was coming in late at night. Dinner again was supposed to be at 7 p.m. And if my brother was 10, 15, 20 minutes late, which he was very often, there would be an uproar in the house. There would be, um, it's hard to describe hell, but that's what it was. I mean, there was so much chaos and, and so little place to hide. And, um, and again, you know it's going to happen. You look at the clock, it's 7.10, it's 7.15, my brother is not there yet. Then you hear the gate, then you hear the car, park, my brother parking his car down there, and then you can, I could see him or hear him uh, going up the steps in the back of the house, and then he goes by the kitchen and then comes into the house. And um, it's really um, a pattern, you know, something repeating itself and, and reinforcing itself and, and imprinting something uh, into ourselves at a deeper level. And obviously, the, the challenge there is that we don't, we don't really know what has been imprinted in us until we start, uh, until we start searching, until we start looking into our, our own patterns of behavior. And as I said last week, uh, it's very important to have uh, guides, in a sense, people who can help us out so we can uh, really see where uh, things are coming from. And the last paragraph I would like to read about, about this segment, uh, again, it's about the core wound and how the core wound can become sacred. Uh, Bill Plantkin says, by experientially exploring your core wound, you can render it sacred. Your wound holds the key to your destiny. By surrendering to the grief and frightful memories at the heart of the wound, no longer distancing yourself from what you encounter there, your psyche is torn open so that new questions can be asked about who you are at your roots. These fomenting questions facilitate the death of your old story and the birth of a larger story, a soul story, one revealed by the wounding itself. The goal in sacred wound work is not to patch up your small story or to heal the adolescent ego, but to disidentify from both. 
the wound becomes sacred when you are ready to release your old story and become the vehicle for which your soul story can be lived into the world. And I really connected with this paragraph, especially when I was, um, in retrospect, again, I think I've done this work in um, between 2000, between, sorry, 1992 and 2006. Uh, I was doing a lot of um, Buddhist, you know, chanting, Buddhist practice, Buddhist activities. And at the time, I remember after my diet knock of the soul in, in Wisconsin, something that I mentioned last week, I could see things coming, coming from, from within, uh, things being released in a sense, and things that were not very um, pleasant to look at. Uh, part of my memories, you know, memories, feelings of sadness, uh, feelings of anger. I could, I could feel a lot of anger coming through, uh, hurt as well. I mean, a lot of this. And, and um, this is what came through, and this is what I could sense at the time. And it was very beneficial for me to be part of the group and being able to chant and, and, and help release that. And that was really part, um, part of the process, the way I looked at it. And it's interesting because this morning again, you know, we talk about synchronicity and I talk about uh, the universe responding to, to me and responding to us. I received an excerpt, um, again, from the blog from the same person near Paris. And she mentioned uh, a transforming process, which is obviously what I've been going through, this one uh, about the cocoon and ourselves turning into a chrysalis, chrysalis, I believe, uh, and doing our work into the cocoon before we emerge eventually um, as a butterfly. And um, it was a very interesting piece. At some point... um, Marianne, her name is Marianne Woodman, and she's the one who mentioned the chrysalis, apparently. She's a woman living in Toronto, and the quote I received is in French. I'm not going to read it in French. I will spare that for you, but, uh, you know, she's questioning the fact that why do we want to go within? Why do we want to go to the bottom ourselves? Why do we want to go to the bottom of our story? And uh, it's a very interesting process again. And... um, and she says, you know, the only thing we're going to find at the bottom is mud, in a sense. The mud is the, all the unpleasantness uh, that we have at the bottom of our life. And we need to be honest uh, enough and courageous enough to go there and look at what is, at what is lying there. And a metaphor which came to mind also in terms of, of this mud that we find at the bottom of our life uh, it relates to the, to the mantra I was chanting for about 20 years, a mantra called Namyo Renge Kyo. And a metaphor we use to describe, or people use to describe this um, mantra, is that with its, you know, the chanting helps to shake up, in a sense, or shake out the mud at the bottom of our lives. So some, it's a, imagine a bowl, a bowl of water with mud at the bottom. So what the chanting does, it stirs up, well, shake out, that's what I said, it stirs up the mud at the bottom. And then pieces of mud got into the water and the water got you know, dirty or brown. Or, and then the good thing about it is that you can, uh, you can see the mud. You can see it moving. And in a sense, you can visualize what comes into your life from the bottom, in a sense, from, uh, from this depth, this depth of your old story, this, this depth of what uh, Bill Plotkin called the adolescent ego. 
and and you can transform that. I think in the first episode also I mentioned this idea of of turning poison into medicine, and what you see in coming into the water again these feelings, this hurt, the things you need to be able to relieve to some extent because again it's not a question of moving away from that. It's a question of really going within and be brave enough to to go there and to acknowledge what happened and be honest. It's not a question of complaining about our past or feeling sorry for oneself. I think pity is, um, is an emotion. I don't know if it's an emotion, but pity is a feeling that is really, really helpful. Uh, I think it's important when you go there, again, to the bottom of where you belong, in a sense, or where, where your story got, got crafted. It's important to, to acknowledge it and to do whatever is necessary, whatever is necessary to turn it around and, and to clear the water. Again, the particles of mud in the water are there to be cleared. They came out for, for a reason. And um, that, in a sense, dovetails very nicely uh, with, with my, my metaphor, that the one I used about the crevasse. That's the metaphor I used um, last week as well. I could see those feelings... Uh, seeping through in a sense and uh, I was very grateful in a sense that there was this this um, this dark knock of the soul which was um, it's not if it's to call it an accident but something again popped out open and through that hole um, I was able to look through and to 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 invite you know to invite what needed to come out uh, to come out and I think it was um it was very beneficial. Um, again, it's um, it's very interesting that it happened to me. You know, this long ago, my dark knock of a soul happened to me in school about 24 years ago, and uh, it was a nice call, a very important call for me. And what Marion Woodman says again uh, at the bottom of this uh, article, when she says, um, after talking about the mud at the bottom of our life, she says. Um, you know, I think it's, I'm going to read the words in French. I can't love anyone else if there's not a high to love I, to love myself. If I don't know myself, I cannot love myself. And if I don't love myself, the love that I carry for other people is most likely only a projection of my need to be accepted. I'm playing a role in order to be loved, in a sense. And I will uh, leave you with those words before, before the break, but it's a, it's a very important process to engage in. It's a very healing and beneficial process. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you looking to advance spiritually? 
Listen each week for spiritual enlightenment, advancing one's wisdom. Your host, medium Maureen Allen, will cover an array of spiritual topics aimed to help you advance your soul's desired growth. Each week, areas of spirituality will be discussed and explored ranging from strange, paranormal experiences to heaven, spirit guides, and angels. To learn more about the other dimensions and how to better assist your path of evolution, tune into Spiritual Enlightenment, Advancing One's Wisdom, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. So in this segment, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, about grace. Again, um, it came from the email and the post I received from my friend in Paris last week. And the first uh, in the first message, he mentioned the words of uh, Leonard Cohen that I uh, can read to you: "Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in." And then uh, in the second post, the post I received on Friday, um, it was about um, a conference that a person called Christian Singer gave. Uh, she had been into different kinds of experience, one of them being a, dark night, being a dark night of the soul. At the same time, she was giving a conference in Vienna, in Austria, and she met a woman who uh, had just lost a, a child, an only child. I don't know exactly how, she didn't give any detail, but obviously she was devastated and uh, she was in very deep pain. And uh, she talked to that woman and the woman was very, um, very, you know, in, in, in dire stress and dire situation and she was trying to express herself as much as she could and express a soul and a sadness. And she said also at some point that she looked herself into the mirror and for a short second, a uh, very short second, in the middle of what she calls a disaster, uh, she had a feeling that she would be always connected with her child. And it was like, just like what Leonard Cohen said, you know, it was like the, the grace uh, filling that void or going for the crack and, and uh, blessing the person. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know how these kind of things happen. But even in the middle of something that looks very um, traumatic, I mean, you know, losing one's child, it's, it's a very harsh experience. And then in the middle of this, it's like there's a lightning in a sense. And there's a, a sparkle of light. And, and um, again, based on these two quotes, these two uh, experience and the quote, I, I started questioning... Uh, how does grace get into the picture? How does grace move in? 
And, and, uh, and I'm not a very guy very big on theory, so I don't really do research to, to find out what grace is. Um, my way of going into the world is more about asking questions and, and you know, going here and there, reading some posts and, and reflecting on things. And, and um, the more I reflected on that, um, the more I had the feeling or the intuition that grace was not coming from without. It's not something that descends upon us, but rather I think it's, uh, it's something that comes from within, you know, uh, providing, um, providing we have the right attitude or the right conditions. Um, obviously, if our you know, ego self, you know, um, is in charge and we are ruled by the clock or we are about, you know, telling people what to do. I mean, there's no, there's no space for this light or this grace to, to come in and to manifest itself from within. And then, so I will get back into what I, the kind of conditions or the kind of attributes I, I look into uh, when I think about grace. But I wanted to mention a, uh, um, a couple of experiences to me. I don't even know they are grace, but um, I think they are, they are very special and my rational mind cannot really put two and two together. My rational mind cannot really explain that. The first one happened um, when my father passed away. He passed away 10 years, almost 10 years ago on June 12, 2005. He had been sick for, he was in a recovery stage, he had cancer. It seemed to be, um, after the chemotherapy, he seemed to have gotten out of cancer. Yet he was very weak, and he was sometimes in and out of the hospital. And in early June, he went back to the hospital. He had fallen into his bedroom, opened his, uh, his head, in a sense, and he was in the hospital. And that day on June 12th, uh, so he was, he was well taken care, taken care of, and it was no, no real immediate uh, sense of urgency for him at the time. But that morning on June 12th, um, there was a chanting session, a Buddhist chanting session that I attended, um, so about three miles away. So I went to that person's place, and I think the chanting session uh, was between 10 and 12. And I chanted, nothing really special, and then I came back home at on 12.15 or 12.20. And for whatever reason, uh, I felt the need to chant again. And so I sat in front of my uh, Buddhist altar. And I started chanting for about, um, for about a good hour. And as it turns out, uh, when I was chanting, this is the moment when my father passed away. I mean, my mother called me later on. Um, and she said, you know, the hospital called. Uh, your father was having dinner, he was just fine, and at some point his heart stopped beating. And, and I thought to myself, you know, how is this possible that, um, you know, I had, I had two hours of chanting in the morning, more than I usually do in, in one day. And I come home, and I feel the need to sit down and, and chant some more. What is the... I hate to use the word connection, but there's a connection from within to the without, you know, the connection with my father, obviously, that that asked me to sit down and chant again for another uh, hour. Um, again, it's something a rational mind cannot explain. And, and um, But perhaps it's grace. I have no idea if it is really grace, but it's something that is um, coming from within and without. And, and you would think that's the, the only example, 
But a very similar thing happened to me, again, a, a person's passing uh, last October. Uh, I mentioned to you the fact that I, I work with an energy coach who is based outside Chicago. And last October, his mother was in Florida and pretty, um, pretty ill. Uh, he knew that it would be the end. So he had let me go that maybe we would have to cancel some sessions because his mother was um, close to the end. And he had mentioned that a couple of days um, before that day, uh, when uh, on one morning, um, for whatever reason, I woke up at five o'clock and I started meditating between five and six. And at 6 a.m., for whatever reason, again, I decided to go back to bed. Uh, I felt I had done what I was supposed to do. And later on that day, the energy coach uh, sent us a text message to all his students. And she said, he said, my mother passed away this morning at 5.30. So right in the middle of the time when I was meditating, uh, his mother passed away. She didn't pass away at 4.30 or 6.30. She passed away at 5.30 a.m. when I was um, up and meditating. And I was, again, not up at 4 or 6. I was up at between 5 and 6. And, um, you know, what is it in the universe that allows us to, to connect with one another uh, across distances? And, um, you know, in this story, I had no personal connection with uh, the coach's mother. I was connected to him and we've been working together for over six months now. So we have a strong one-on-one uh, -on -one connection, but I had no connection to his mother. So how is it possible that, um, you know, across the waves in a sense, uh, something is transmitted and, 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 you know, forces us to do something or prompts us to, to do something. And um, again, I, I don't have any answer, but I, I'm just a bit uh, bewildered in a sense. And, um, and it, to me, these things are beyond what we call synchronicity. You know, the, the, the images or the, the messages that I receive when I'm preparing my show that helped me along the way. Um, these are very much, in a sense, uh, synchronous um, messages uh, that supports me along the path. But, but things like, you know, chanting like this or meditating when, when I'm there to support someone who is passing away is, uh, is a, very, um, a very special thing. So I wanted to reflect uh, on this idea of... of um, of grace with the, the knowledge, with the limited knowledge and experience that I have. Uh, interestingly, I posted um, my question on different forums on, um, on LinkedIn. And in one forum called the Spiritual Directors Forum, there was quite a bit of response. And, um, and one guy especially responded this morning and he, he agreed with me that, that grace uh, seems to come from within. Uh, and that's where you have to look for grace uh, once you establish the proper connections or once you do the proper work to let the grace move out of, of where it's supposed to come from. And at the same time, he mentioned some Buddhist quotes and, and even uh, quotes from the Bible that I don't especially connect with. Um, when I try to look at... Um, you know, the, what I call the conditions or the attributes necessary for grace, for grace to manifest. The first thing that comes to mind is being vulnerable. And vulnerability, I think it's, 
it's interesting because it's something that didn't make any sense to me 10 or 20 years ago. It's something that I have never heard of, at least when I was growing up in France. Times have changed, I guess. We are now part of the 21st century. But it just seemed like it, it didn't make any sense. And the first time I heard this uh, concept uh, in the U.S., I thought, this doesn't apply to me. Or What is this thing? How can we ourselves be vulnerable? And, um, you know, 20 years down the road, I've been going to uh, quite a number of, of the, uh, personal development uh, seminars. Uh, I, can, I can understand what being vulnerable means. And I think, I think to me, um, it has to do with the question of, of honesty and sincerity about how we feel and how do we express those feelings. Um, and one episode, again, I can relate to, um, and something that I shared in the first uh, episode of my show, is that morning when I was in a, in a workshop in the Poconos in November of 2007, and I was there debating with my own questions. So within, I had a dilemma. So am I supposed to leave the Buddhist organization or not? You know, my, I've been there for almost 20 years. I mean, what's going to happen if suddenly I get, I get out of the cage? Am I going to be able to fly? And, and within, there was something brewing. And I expressed it uh, very honestly, very sincerely to the group. And I think I made myself vulnerable, um, but what does it really mean? I was in a bunch of strangers. Maybe they were like only out of 32 people, there was only maybe four or five people I knew. So does it mean that it's more risky for oneself to express something in a group of strangers? You know, we don't know what the stranger's reaction would be. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know, but um, I think it's, um, it's a very important thing to to be vulnerable, um, again, to be sincere, to express truly what we, what we, what we feel, what we, what we have on our mind or on our, on our heart, I guess. And um, it takes courage as, as well. I mean, I realize that um, sometimes we take a risk, the risk of being hurt in return. And some of us have been hurt in the past, like, you know, our inner child or... Even you go to some workshops and for whatever reason, someone starts to argue with you and that in a sense blocks the flow. And the next time you go to a different workshop, you're afraid of sharing what you really feel. You're sharing, you're afraid of sharing your true self in a sense. So I think it has a lot to do with, uh, with sincerity, with honesty, with courage and being true to ourselves. Um, when I was writing with my friend um, Elizabeth uh, about this question of vulnerability and grace, uh, I said to her, you know, I believe that grace comes from somewhere and somewhere from within, from, from the deepest part of ourselves. And we need some, you know, some ingredients, I call it, ingredients, uh, vulnerability and authenticity. And, and, um, and then I said to her, you know, how is it possible that this grace can penetrate us from within if we close the door, in a sense, if we're not ready to let her in? And if we only offer a sort of a facade, a replica of who we really are? And, and um, you know, that's, that's also a very, a very big question here. How do we open the door? How do we make ourselves open to receive 
I think um, a very important thing here is, is uh, to let what it's called, it's a term called let go of outcome. Uh, things might happen, things might not happen, but it's not up to us to design or to define the outcome ahead of time. I think it's, I learned that um, also during some uh, seminars, especially one called personal leadership, that we have to be very open to what the universe has in, in store for us. Because if we only make decisions and decide to close, let's say, door A, C, and D, and we only offer B, I mean, the universe may decide to go to door E or door F, and if we're not willing to accept things, if we, if we make boxes in our minds, in a sense, about what is possible and what is not possible. Uh, so I think it's, um, it's a very important thing, um, this notion of being open. Uh, and it goes hand in hand with the, the notion of uh, being vulnerable. The, the, the other ingredients or the other conditions that came to mind also is, is surrender. And surrender also is a very, um, it's a very soft notion. It's a very soft concept. And um, how do you surrender, you know, to what, to what is supposed to, to come? It's, um, it's, again, it's a question of not making decisions for, for the outcome of what is supposed to come into your life. And um, this is something I would like to expand a little bit in, in the next segment and give you a, a couple examples of, of surrender uh, that came to mind when I reflected on the notion. But it, uh, it's not something easy to practice because we always you know, want to be in control, control of our fate, control of our destiny. Uh, we are so afraid of so many things. We are so afraid of losing control in the first place. And what we want, we want, we're looking, we're, we're searching for certainty, I guess. We're searching for the tangible. In the first place, we're searching for, for money in our bank accounts. So oftentimes when we uh, are possibly in the wrong situation at work or the wrong relationship, our tendency, has, our tendency is to say, well, yes, what, what if I move out? Uh, what's what's going to happen? And, and we don't, if we don't move out, in my case, if I didn't get out of the golden cage that I felt I was in, uh, in this Buddhist organization, uh, I would never be experiencing the freedom that I'm, uh, the spiritual freedom that I'm experiencing today. So, um, it's, um, it's not an easy thing to understand. I think in the past, in the past five, six, ten years, I mean, I, I did a lot of work in the concept of surrender. Um, again, surrender to what comes into your life. So I will share a bit more in the next segment about surrender and the other conditions are, that I think are important about uh, in terms of, of feeling grace and uh, inviting grace in our life. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Giles Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello, this is Jill again. Welcome back. I was talking right before the, the last break about um, what I call the conditions uh, necessary for, for grace to, to manifest um, and again possibly to manifest from within. I mentioned vulnerability and, and I was talking then about surrender. And, and surrender, I think it's, um, it's difficult at times because um, at least in my case, and I'm sure in many people's case, what we face is we face uh, what I call ego resistance. There's a lot of resistance coming from ego. And that's what, you know, I was talking about the certainty and the, the, the reassurance that we want to have a tangible outcome, to have, you know, a good solid job or enough money in our bank accounts. And that makes us feel secure. And when we surrender, uh, sometimes there's no security at all. We don't even know where we are stepping we may be stepping on, on hair or stepping on, on eggs. And um, I was reflecting on a very, very small example, but again, um, uh, again, in the mundane, we can find a lot of uh, reasons for spelunking and for reflecting and asking questions. So it's something that happened Monday morning. Um, uh, there was um, in here in New Jersey on, on Sunday, it was very stormy. There was a lot of rain during the day. And at night it got very cold, so in the end there was like um, the, the rain turned into ice, and the conditions were not good. Our porch was all icy, and um, the garbage people come here Monday morning, and I was supposed to take the garbage um, out Sunday night, and I didn't because again it wasn't uh, proper to do that. And I, you know, I don't know what happened when it's dark; you don't see the ice on the porch. So I said to myself, "I will wait until tomorrow morning to take the garbage in, 
And most likely, you know, the garbage people will come, I don't know, 9, 10 o'clock, and um, I will have enough time in the morning to do that. And then in the morning, I take our son to daycare, and, and guess what? Uh, the garbage people came as I was ready to take my son, our son, to the daycare. And I had a choice, I guess, luckily or fortunately, uh, there was enough wisdom in me, but I could have stopped, you know, I was taking our son into our car, I could have stopped and decided to take the garbage and put it on a curb. And, and, and I said, obviously, no, it's not the right time to do it. And, and the pressure that I could feel is like, you know, my mind or my ego mind started to, to argue or reason with me. It said, you know, like, if you wait until Thursday, three days from now, the garbage is going to be full. And it's going to be a mess. And so Thursday might be another, another icy day or snowy day, which it was. And um, that's the kind of, you know, kind of situations that I face, especially for me in terms of, of time pressure. I often feel that there's not enough time to do things. And, and, I, and I feel pushed against, against the deadline. I mean, which is, in my case, is not very surprising because of what I experienced as a, sh- as a child. Um, you know, the pressure at home to be on time and to have dinner at fixed time, fixed, fixed, um, yeah, fixed times. So this is a, a pressure within my ego mind that I have to face. And a similar one came um, today. Um, again, I had to take my our son to daycare. And um, we had a business call, my wife and I, around 10.30. So it gave us, we still had some time, but not much, much time before uh, I would come back and do what we had to do to get ready for the, for the business call. And, and so I took my son to our son to daycare, and guess what? He forgot something at home. There were toys that he wanted to take home because uh, today is show and tell. And so he wanted to tell his friends about uh, a penguin that he got yesterday at McDonald's. And um, so we arrived in daycare, and he started crying because he realized that he had forgotten uh, his penguin, and his penguin was left at home. And this morning, I found myself in a, in a, I don't know if I would call that total surrender, but I found myself in a, in a situation, in a yeah, situation of, of peace and neutral. What I experienced the other day when, when the guy came into the room at the gym and unplugged the TV and disturbed my peace, for, for once, there was no... there was no pressure, you know, there was no pressure from ego mind saying that no, you can't go home and get this penguin because it's going to take you another 15 minutes for you to go back and forth and you're going to be late. And um, interesting enough, I was observing, you know, observing is very important, observing what comes from your mind and where does it come from. Sometimes it doesn't come from your mind, but from someplace else. And this morning, the, the pressure that I usually experience from ego mind wasn't there. And I went home and I got his penguin and I went back to daycare and, and everything was fine, I guess. That's just uh, coming from ego mind, there's a fear creeping up, a fear creeping up, which creeps whenever it's necessary for us to surrender. So sometimes at, at crucial times, you know, um, we think you have to make an important decision again about leaving our job because the situation is not is not healthy for us. I mean, that's... It's not simply not working. The, the, the atmosphere at work is not conducive to any kind of well-being. And, and yet, 
because of the fear and because of the pressure coming from our ego mind, we, we decide otherwise and we, we stay in a situation which is detrimental to us. And in the end, we, we suffer. We suffer because we're not really addressing the core, the core of our situation, the core of our challenge. And we just, um, we just wait. We just wait and sometimes uh, nothing moves and, um, and sometimes things get worse. So I think it's, it's important uh, to, to surrender whenever necessary, whenever there's a need to, to jump in, in a sense. Um, it feels at times like a, a big dive, in a sense, and we don't know what's on the other side. But again, uh, as I said, in terms of being vulnerable, it takes a lot of courage to, to go there and to see what happens. I mean, um, and we, we will never know what can happen until we go there, until we break loose, in a sense, and, and forget about where we were and the security that we had. So that's, that's for vulnerability and surrender. Another ingredient, I think, uh, which is very important when we do spiritual work and where we want to invite um, grace from within or without, is curiosity. Um, curiosity, not, not, not nosiness in a sense, but the fact that it's very important to question things, how things work in our lives, how do we function within, um, and to challenge uh, our ego's misconceptions in a sense. Um, you know, if we get a message that we don't like, I think it's very important to, you know, to, to why is this coming to me? Why am I in such a mood today that um, I can't seem to be doing anything? I mean, there, there's a reason for. And um, that's what I call a spiritual curiosity, you know, um, trying to understand where we come from, how do we function? And um, there's days where it works um, better than others, but um, it's, it's something I tend to do, uh, question as, as much as possible, um, especially when, when there's um, something that I don't like, you know, why is it that this thought is coming to my mind, this is a negative thought, I'm judging this person, and why is it so, you know, what do I, why do I feel so insecure, usually when you, when you turn to judge people, it's because you feel insecure within, and you want to feel superior to the other person, to the other person. So the tendency is to put yourself above that person, and by criticizing the person, then you, in a sense, you, you render that person a bit smaller, and you can reach up to that person's smallness and feel and feel good about yourself. So it's a, it's it's a, it's a process that you need to cultivate. And it's also it's also part of the spiritual spelunking to go within and reflect on. Uh, how you, how you function, and why is it that these things come to mind or not? So curiosity, I would really encourage you to be as curious as possible. Again, curiosity from within. Um, I don't know if it's our job or duty to, to question things coming from other people. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But within the context of, of spelunking, I think it's important that... Um, we address those things and they just um, don't remain unnoticed because I think they come to us uh, for a reason. And the last, um, the last thing that came to mind when I thought about grace and this concept, which is so sometimes so subtle, uh, I wouldn't say elusive, but so subtle, is the concept of spiritual maturity. Uh, spiritual maturity. And by, by that, I mean, um, we're all on a different 
you know, portion of our path. I mean, it's not a question of judging where we are. I think it's much more a question of of what I what I call maturity is a desire to know, a desire to grow, a, a desire to to expand in a sense, and to to reach out to new to new levels, to new rings of growth. So if you keep in mind um, the the metaphor of spelunking, it's it's a you know, it's a desire to go deeper within the cave and to explore areas of our psyche or areas of our being where we've never been. And I think it's, um, it's very healthy to do that. And it's, uh, it's a bit frightening as well. But it's, uh, it's, to me, it's really the way to go because when you get into uh, a dark area, it could be a dark area of your current life or it could be some, some area in your childhood, something you haven't resolved yet. Um, again, it, it takes curiosity and it takes maturity and it takes courage to, to inquire and to see what's there. You know, we, we often talk about what we call our inner demons. We'll all have demons and things that are frighten us. And um, I think it's important that we, um, we go there whenever necessary. So that's what I call spiritual maturity. And it goes hand in hand with this notion of courage and, and vulnerability. I mean, it's, um, it's very important to to be tenacious in a sense. And, uh, and sometimes it takes, you know, help from someone, I guess. Uh, a process that I happily enjoy is to walk with someone and it doesn't have to be um, a question of holding the other person's hand. It's a question of, of listening, essentially, I guess. And you can listen for the other person and the other person listen, can listen to you. You can form a team in a sense. And what is it that you want to, to explore in your inner life? Um, that um that is important to you and and sometimes you don't have the the courage to go there and it's um it's um it's important so that's really my message all along this show is to go within and see what's out there for you and to to inquire a little bit more in order to to close uh, in the little time that i have i wanted to read a quote it's also part of the my promotion for the show. It's a quote that came from a, a person called Parker Palmer. Many of you may know this Quaker. He's a Quaker guy. And um, he wrote a book, a delicious, uh, delicious slash delightful book called Hidden Wellness. And in it, he talks about, um, as an anecdote on page 181, when he talks about uh, the issue of slavery. And he mentioned a guy called John Woolman uh, that would brought the issue of slavery or ending slavery, slavery at the time, to the Quaker community, and they had to uh, they had to to decide what to do. And um, I will read it briefly, um, but he says it is important to note that the entire Quaker community was also willing to hold attention until they were open to a more integral way of being in the world. So in a sense, they were reaching out for more spiritual maturity, if I want to rephrase that. They refused to succumb to the impulse to resolve tension prematurely, either by throwing Woolman out or by voting to allow the slavery-approving majority of its way. Instead, they let the tension between reality and possibility break their collective heart open to justice, truth, and love. And the way Parker Palmer explains that, he says there's an old acidic tale that tells us how such things happen. The pupil comes to the rabbi and asks, 
Why does Torah tell us to place these words upon your hearts? Why does it not tell us to place these holy words in our hearts? The rabbi answers, It is because as we are, our hearts are closed, and we cannot place the holy words in our hearts. So we place them on top of our hearts. And there they stay until one day the heart breaks and the world falls in. So this is a quote I wanted to leave you. I think it's a very nice uh, way to end and to, to have the patience and to place whatever words you want on top of your heart and wait for them to fall in, in a sense. So thank you very much and uh, look forward to seeing you next week with a new topic. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giles Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again.